We've been talking for the last several weeks on the subject of how to be led by the Spirit of God. And I believe, according to the things that the Bible says about the last days, that it's even more important now than ever before. Not that it's never been before, important before, but just that the Bible talks about even in the last days that, the, that many people in the body of Christ will fall away and their consciences will be seared with a, as with a hot iron. Um, with some of the things that are going on around us, uh, some of the things that are coming to light, like this Planned Parenthood thing, the videos about the, the murder of babies, um, you know, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's just absolutely staggering. I don't think any of us are surprised about what's going on. And it's not that it provided information to us that was new, but to see people stand up and defend it is just staggering. The value of human life has become so little in the eyes of society that people are trying to have reasoned and intellectual discussions about, well, maybe there's a benefit and Folks, it's the murder of babies. It's not any different than the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Babylonians did, even in the Bible days. It's human sacrifice. Maybe for a different reason, but it's sacrificing to the same God, which is the devil. We live in a day where the devil is, doesn't even have to hide in the shadows anymore. He can come right out and identify what he's doing, and that will increase more and more. If the Bible's true, then it is. He didn't even have to hide in the shadows anymore. To me, that says, I mean, obviously there's a disappointment and there's a, a sadness associated with the, the fall of the country that we used to know. But for me, there's a greater responsibility that comes to mind. A responsibility for the church to be the light of the world for the church to do the works of Jesus here on the earth as he said that we would. So for that reason, we need to develop ourselves spiritually and be aware of the things that the Bible instructs us to do in these last days more than ever before, I believe. So we started off with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 where Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to identify mankind, the makeup of man. He says, "...in the very God of peace sanctify you wholly." The word sanctify means to separate or to cleanse. God wants you clean in every area of your life. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, if that's God's desire, he had to make a way for that to happen. He wouldn't instruct us to do something or tell us that this is the will of God for something to be without giving us a means, providing for us a means and a method to, to obtain that. We've also added some other scriptures in here talking about being led by the Spirit and the development of our spirits. And that's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Paul said again by the Holy Ghost, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, everybody that's honest and, and sincere about the things of God want to be led by the Holy Ghost if they know what that is, which I'm not sure how much of the church world does, but nevertheless, to come to the knowledge that that's possible, everybody would want that, it would seem. Well, verse 16 tells us how that's going to happen. Romans eight sixteen says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. It doesn't say the Holy Ghost will bear witness with our heads or our souls. The soul is... Defined in Scripture as the mind, the will, and the emotions. It doesn't say that the Holy Ghost will bear witness with our feelings. He certainly doesn't bear witness with our circumstances. He bears witness with our spirits. Spiritual development and spiritual sensitivity seems to be a lost, um, well, I started to say lost art just as a cliche, but a lost subject in the church world. Think about the early days of the church, they had no Bible. They had only the leading of the Holy Ghost. They had only the remembrance of Jesus' teachings, talking about the disciples. And that's what they went by. They had to be conscious of the leading of the Spirit of God. They had nothing else to rely on. Nowadays, so many churches are teaching 
denominations are teaching that because we have the whole of the Bible, the entirety of the Scripture, we don't need anything else. Some will teach that the power of God has gone away. We don't need gifts of the Spirit anymore because we've got the Bible. Well, I've always been interested and intrigued by that because the very people that say that we don't need the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of spiritual gifts and manifestations of the Spirit because we've got the whole of the Bible deny half of the Bible. I mean, it seems like they ought to be the, 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 the most um, adherent, the strongest adherence to the Word of God if that's their substitute, doesn't it? But they seem to be the ones that pick and choose what belongs to us and what doesn't belong to us. Folks, it all belongs to us. If God wasn't smart enough to tell us what part was going to be done away with and not belong to us anymore and not have that written as a record, then who in the world do we think we're serving? He had to be that smart. I mean, he created the earth in six days. But oops, he forgot to leave certain verses in there. No, bless God, it all belongs to us. Another scripture we've looked at is Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. It says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Another translation says the light or the lamp of the Lord. Now lights and lamps in those days, in Bible days, were used to enlighten dark rooms or dark places. They were used as, as we would use a flashlight nowadays to show you your path in the dark. So it's talking about the spirit of man is what God uses to enlighten or to reveal or to guide you through life. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. God guides you and directs you from within. Now, if, if spiritual development is such a key, and the Bible says that it is, if being led by the Holy Ghost de- depends on spiritual development and spiritual sensitivity, and it does, then why is there so little effort in the church world made on spiritual things? Most of the teaching in the church world, our modern-day church world, at least in the American church, is about behavior. Do this, don't do that, and seem to be a lot more don't-dos than do's. Rules, regulations, with the idea, if it's never stated specifically, the implication is certainly there that God's mad at you if you don't do right, and if you do wrong, then he's, he's against you and rather than being on your side. Yet the Bible talks about freedom in the spirit of God. And that freedom can only come through the development of your spirits. Now I want you to turn back with me to a couple of verses of scripture. Look with me to Matthew chapter 4. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus is being tempted of the devil after he's spent 40 days in the wilderness preparing himself for the plan of God and the purpose of God for his life. The Bible says Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days where he was tempted of the devil. A lot of people think that Jesus went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days to be tempted of the devil. But that's not why he went out there. He went out there to prepare himself for the work God had for him to do, his earthly ministry. But anytime you separate yourself to the things of God, the devil will be right there. Anytime you try to make a step forward in God, the devil will see how serious you are about making it. He'll give you every opportunity to, to turn around. And to back up on the commitment that you make. So here comes the devil. If the devil tempts Jesus, he's certainly going to tempt you and me. And notice the first temptation. It says, I'm reading in chapter 4 of Matthew in verse um, 3. It says, And when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. First thing Jesus was tempted with was his physical body. His flesh. That's a legitimate temptation because it says after 40 days, he's hungry. Well, I guess so. I would be too. I'd have been hungry for a long time, for 39 and a half days probably. <laughs> so it's a bona fide temptation. And would there be anything wrong with Jesus turning the stones into bread or turning anything else into food for his own benefit? Would there be anything wrong with that? The only thing that would be wrong with it is that if you put his body before his spirit. And folks, that is a huge, huge lesson. You put the things of the flesh in front of the things of the spirit. You make provision for the flesh more so than you make provision for the spirit. We all have to take care of our bodies. Most of us take care of them too well. Make too much provision for them. That's where it gets wrong. 
the, 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 uh, the teaching, the instruction of these scriptures is to keep things in the right perspective. So the devil said, if you're the son of God, there's always an if with the devil. If you're the son of God, turn these stones, command these stones and that they be turned into bread. And Jesus answered and said, notice verse 4, Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Bread uh, is a representative of food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. Jesus is saying something very, very simple, but very, very important. And it's instructive to me that it's the first thing that Jesus says when he comes face to face with the devil. The first thing Jesus says when he comes face to face with the devil is the most important thing to me is the word. That set the course for everything that the devil had to do with Jesus. And every time that Jesus defeated him, it was because of this principle of Jesus' life. Now, notice what he said. Notice how he said it. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, he's talking about physical life and physical food that provides for the body. And notice what he says. Notice that he says that man shall not live by bread or food alone. Now, folks, I'm going to use a real simple illustration. And forgive me for being so elementary. But I hope you're going to get it. And that is this. Would anybody substitute food or substitute rocks for food or dirt for food? Why not? God created them. God made the rocks. God made the dirt. Why don't we eat dirt? Why don't we eat rocks? Some of the foods sometimes taste like we do, perhaps. But why don't we substitute those things for it? Because God made man's body to be fed, nourished, and strengthened by one specific thing, and that is represented here in these scriptures as bread. Food is what nourishes you, not dirt. Food is what strengthens you, not rocks. Jesus is using that illustration to show us the place that the word should have in our lives. He said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying the same thing that food is for the physical body, the word of God is for your spirit. In other words, you can't substitute something else for the word of God and expect spiritual development. You can't substitute something for the word of God and expect spiritual strength. Because just as food is the only thing that the body was designed to accept and receive For nourishment and for strength, the Word of God is the only thing that your spirit was designed and fit for, equipped for, to receive nourishment and spiritual strength. So notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying just like physical food is necessary for the life, the physical life of the body, and if you you know as well as I do that if somebody starves themselves, sooner or later their body dies. In the same way, starve yourself spiritually from the word of God and your spiritual strength will be sapped just like you starve your body. Man shall not live by by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, the, the fact that he talks about life or living is interesting to me because Jesus wasn't interested just in physical life. Jesus had a lot more to him and had a lot greater purpose than just physical life. So he says, just like food is necessary for the physical life, he's talking about the word of God being necessary for your spiritual life. Now, what kind of spiritual life does he mean? Well, didn't he come to bring us his life? Jesus said, the thief comes but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. What kind of life is that? That's eternal life. We could call it the Jesus life. So Jesus is is saying, just as food is necessary for the existence and the strengthening and the nourishment of the physical body, the physical man, he says the word of God is, is necessary for the spiritual nourishment to live the Jesus life. Now, what is the Jesus life? I got this. Thank you. It's a rhetorical question. What is the Jesus life? Jesus is the Jesus life is the eternal life that he said that he came to bring us. It's not something that you get when you go to heaven. It's something that you have now. John wrote to the church and said, Brethren, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. 
He didn't say we know we're going to have this eternal life. Or we know that we will pass from death to life. He said we know we have. It's already taken place at the new birth. You've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus through the new birth, through making Jesus the Lord of your life. That's the eternal life that he's talking about. And he says the source of that eternal life that you received when you were born again is the word of God. Well, what if we substitute something else for it? You can't. You can't. There's only one thing that fits your spirit just like food fits your body. And that's the word of God. Turn with me over to another scripture over in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus is telling them some things that the disciples, uh, well, not just the disciples, but everybody in the crowd is having a hard time with. The multitudes wind up turning their back on Jesus and walking away for some of the things that they said because they didn't understand the meaning behind it. But as a part of this, Jesus said, um, well, let's start reading in verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, that means the saying, he's talking about drinking his flesh and uh, drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And they're thinking naturally. They're thinking, well, that violates the law of Moses. How can this man give us his flesh? But he's talking about the sacrifice on the cross. And so they didn't understand. They didn't stop to, to find out or take the time to get Jesus to explain it. So they just got upset and many of them walked away. So it says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at this saying, he said unto them, does this offend you? You know, it's an interesting thing to me. Most everybody thinks that if, if, if everybody was on the earth and ministers were operating in the love of God the way that Jesus did, nobody would ever get offended. Jesus ticked people off right and left. Jesus really wasn't concerned too much with not offending people. Especially the Pharisees. So he said, does this offend you? What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before. In other words, he's saying, now you're offended at what I said. You don't understand the meaning behind the drinking my blood and eating my flesh. You're judging that against what you think the law of Moses says and commands and so forth. But what about if you see me ascend up into the Father? Now these disciples will. They're the ones that were with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Forty days later, he was caught up in the cloud and ascended up into heaven. He's telling them something that's going to happen. Just a couple of months after. He said, what are you going to think about it then? In other words, I think, you judge this for yourself, but I think Jesus is saying, you guys need to get a grip here and realize who's talking to you, even though you don't understand the meaning of what I'm saying. That's a good principle to follow. If the word of God says it is true, just because I don't understand something doesn't mean it's not true. Are you with me? So he said, what? Does this offend you? What about if you see the son of man ascend up to where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth. Please notice these words. It's the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words, everybody say words. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying words are spirit and words produce life. Spiritual words produce life. Turn with me over to one other scripture, a portion of scripture back to Matthew chapter 7. Notice what Jesus said about the word of God and the place that it should hold in our lives. Jesus placed a great emphasis on the word of God. Much more so than most Christians do. Jesus said in beginning in uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Well that would be the word wouldn't it? Heareth these sayings would be hearing the word. Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Luke's translation of this account says and it could not fall because it was founded on a rock. I like that. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Please notice they weren't astonished at him. doesn't say they were astonished at him because he did miracles. He said they were astonished at his doctrine for or because he taught them. I'm reading from the King James as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, if you're reading along with me in the King James, you'll, you'll realize and if you'll notice if you take a, a moment to, to look closely, you'll see that the word one, O-N-E, is in italics. That means the translators put that in there. They're trying to help us to understand, but understand according to their understanding. And their understanding was not always according to the truth. So since they put it in there, let's take it out. When Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for, doctrine means teaching, for he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. He taught them as having authority. These words has and having are interesting because the word as means how, meaning the manner to, and the word having means to hold. So if we substitute the the specific meanings of these Greek words for the translation, it says, for he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Now, what did Jesus say was the, the source for holding authority? Holding meaning to use, the manner to use. What's the source for using authority effectively? He says it's acting on the word. He said it's acting on the word. Folks, notice that Jesus said that the difference between victory and defeat is not the size of the storm that comes. Same storm affects both houses. One One house, the storm causes to fall. The other storm just passes over. Beats on the house, but the house doesn't fall. Because it's founded upon a rock. Notice that Jesus is saying that the key to victory, the difference between victory or defeat, is not being saved. Wouldn't that be nice? Thus saith the Lord, because you are saved, my child, you'll never have another problem in life. And I'd sign up for that. That's not the way it works. It's not being saved that makes the difference between victory and defeat. Being saved makes the difference in heaven and hell. The thing that makes the difference in victory and defeat is the word and the use of the word in your life. Not the storms, not the circumstances, not anything other than the word. Why? Because the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. In other words, Jesus told us, and and we could use other examples as well, but these are the most obvious. Jesus tells us on many occasions when he was here on the earth revealing the Father to us. And remember, that was Jesus' whole purpose for coming to the earth is to reveal the Father. To reveal the Father. His revelation of the Father was all about the place of the Word of God, the place that the Word of God should hold in our lives. Why is that? Because you'll never know God except through his Word. You'll never know God apart from his word. If you're looking to to find out what God's like through your feelings or through your mental understanding, intellectual understanding, might as well quit. It'll never happen. You will only know God through his word. And that's why Jesus put such a priority on the word of God. Now, folks, if Jesus operated here on the earth the way that most church people think that he did, that he did miracles because he was the son of God, And he just did whatever he wanted to do according to God's plan and purpose. That's why he healed the sick and and, uh, did uh, the miracles that he did because he was the son of God. If that was the case, then why make an emphasis on the word? Why did Jesus put such a priority on the word? I'm not talking about just putting a priority on the word for other people. Why did Jesus make such a priority on the word of God for himself? Wouldn't make sense. If Jesus is able to turn it on and off the power of God at his will, then why emphasize the word? Why tell us that the word of God is the key to victory? Why tell us that the word of God is spirit and life? Why didn't he just say, well, this is all done to prove to you that I'm something special? That's what most of the church world thinks. But that's not what he said at all. In fact, there were cases in Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, where he couldn't. The Bible says he couldn't do any mighty work or miracle. 
Doesn't say that he wouldn't, says that he couldn't. Why not? Because the people wouldn't receive him. People wouldn't accept him. The people didn't receive him or accept him as being the deliverer of the word. The messenger from heaven. And so he was hindered. God never pushes his way on anybody. Including you. He'll give you the tools whereby you can walk in victory. But he won't force you to do it. That's one of the biggest differences in in, uh, knowing the voice of God. The leading of the Holy Spirit. As opposed to the way the devil tries to push you and drive you. He's always forceful about it. He tells you to do it or else. God never says do it or else. God says here's the place. Here's the means of victory. It's up to you. Your choice. Your call. Now turn back with me to the Old Testament book of Joshua. I want you to see something here. Verses of scripture that I hope you're familiar with. I don't expect that I'm saying anything new to anybody here. I hope I'm not. Because if I'm not, that means you're familiar with these things and hopefully that means you're acting on them. But I don't count it a small thing or I'm not worried about what you think about me to tell you what you already know or at least what you already should know. Paul said that. Paul said, I don't count it a small thing to put you in remembrance of what I've already told you. I grew up under Brother Hagin, so I learned from the master on reminding people of things that he said before. Brother Hagin would tell the same story over and over and over again. He'd get in a series, would be in healing school, and he'd get in a series, and the first 45 minutes would be what he preached yesterday. I mean, you'd think, dear Lord, how long is this going to go? And then the next day he'd start off and he'd go two days back and you'd think, well, here's an hour and a half to catch up on the last two days. But it always paid off. Because you'd hear things new. If you opened yourself up to it, you'd hear new things that you, didn't, that you thought you got yesterday but you didn't, didn't get. Joshua chapter 1. Notice what God is telling Joshua is the key to success. Now, folks, you need to realize that God is no respecter of persons. If this is God's key to success for Joshua, it's God's key to success for you and me. If that's not the case, then God's a liar. Because God's the one that says he's not a respecter of persons. Which means he has to make the same means of victory available for every individual. Or else he'd be a respecter of persons. He'd be picking one over another. Now, what we do with the means of of victory is up to us. But he has to make it available to everybody. Now, Joshua's in a pretty tough spot because Moses has just gone off the scene. And Moses was the man. I mean, he's the one that went up into the mountain, brought down the tables of stone, and his face shined so much that people asked him to put a sack on his head. Think about that. Moses, your face is shining and it scares us. Would you cover that up? The presence of God was visible on his face. And it scared the people. Moses is the one that parted the Red Sea inside of everybody. He's the one that had done the miracles in Egypt before Pharaoh. He's the one that struck the rock and water came out twice. Once when he was supposed to and the second when he wasn't. He's the one that talked about God providing for them. And the next morning they had manna for 40 years. And then God says, Joshua, you're going to take his place. Would you want to follow Moses? Some big shoes to fill. So Joshua's going to need some supernatural help. If he's going to be effective, isn't he? Notice what God tells Joshua is the key to success. This is Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law, that's all they had of the word of God. We've got more so we could substitute the word of God, this word of God. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the words that God had spoken to mankind through Moses. This book of the law or the word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Notice the first thing that he says is meditating in the word is connected with what you say. A lot of Christians get freaked out when you use the word meditate because they have this picture of Eastern religion type stuff where somebody's sitting in a lotus position humming and doing all kinds of weird things, emptying their minds of whatever. And 
That's not what meditation is according to the Bible. Meditating in the word is defined as speaking the word of God. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. The only way something cannot depart from your mouth is if you say it again and again and again. Because once you say it once, one time, it's gone. So if it doesn't depart from your mouth, you've got to keep saying it. And that's the whole point. To meditate is to speak the word again and again and again and again and again. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now God tells Joshua, Joshua, I know you're going to be busy, but I need you to do something. Your first and foremost job is to speak the word of God day and night. The rest of your time is yours, but speaking the word of God belongs to day and night. Obviously, he's talking about doing that along with the other things you have to do in your life. He's not talking about setting aside your day and your night doing nothing else but speaking the word of God. He's talking about taking the word of God with you and speaking the word of God in everything that you do and every activity that you participate in. Take the word of God with you. So many people are worried about trying to put a a certain amount of time or spending enough time when they're alone with God. Folks, take God with you. God doesn't want you to shut up in a closet all day. He doesn't want you to live in a hermit life. He wants to go with you wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For what end? For what purpose? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Notice Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that we just read before, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him liken him unto a wise man that built his house on the rock. Wisdom is not just hearing the word of God. Wisdom is not just saying what the word of God says. Wisdom is hearing the word, speaking the word, and doing the word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Well, what benefit is that going to bring us? Sounds like a lot of work. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Please notice it does not say then God will make your way prosperous. Notice it says then you shall make your way prosperous. God's not the one picking prosperity for some and and poverty for others. Making your way prosperous or being successful in life as another translation says. Being successful is dependent on your attitude and your action toward the word of God. It's not God's will. God's not picking picking winners and losers. He's not choosing between his children. You'll have good things. You'll have bad things. He provides the same means of success for every believer, every one of his children. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. You'll make your way prosperous. And notice it's dependent on the word. It's all centered around the word of God. Then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. The Amplified Translation, I believe, says, Then thou shalt deal wisely in the affairs of life. But we all want that, don't we? Notice how that comes. It comes from the one thing, the only one thing, that's meant to fit and feed and nourish and strengthen your spirit. The Word of God. The the Word of God is the key. The Word of God is the key. Now notice what it says. It talks about meditating in the Word. It talks about doing the Word. Meditating in the Word of God by speaking it again and again and again to yourself and then doing the Word of God. Let me remind you of another scripture over in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. The Holy Ghost tells us the key to life and success as well and just use it in different terms. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20. It says, My son... Attend unto my words. Attend means to put the word of God first place in your life. Put the word of God first place in your life. Put the word of God first place in your life. Now, how do you do that? I wonder if it has any similarity or has any connection to what God told Joshua. Well, if he's talking about having success, if the whole purpose of what the, the, um, uh, the writer of the Proverbs here, inspired by the Holy Ghost, is telling him as a means of success, then it has to be the same. Even if it tells us in different words or uses different terminology, it has to be talking about the same thing, doesn't it? My son, attend unto my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. In other words, hear it. 
Well, Jesus said that. Jesus said the man that builds his house on the rock is the man that hears and does the word. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. What does that mean? That means see yourself with the answer. Now, he's talking about taking the word of God with you. He's talking about seeing the promises of the word of God realized in your life. Well, how do you see those? If the word of God talks about abundance, but your checkbook says lack, how do you see yourself with the promises of God? How do you not let the word of God depart from you before your eyes? See yourself with the answer. See yourself with plenty. Why? Because the bank says we've got plenty? No, because the word says Jesus provided plenty for you. See yourself with the answer. Brother Hagin said when it came to his healing, receiving his healing, he said that was the first thing for him. He said that was the last piece of the puzzle for him. He said, I saw myself dying. I couldn't get for months. He said, I couldn't get that, that picture, that image out of my mind of me dying and being put in the ground and people throwing dirt on the top of the casket and the, seeing the seasons change over my grave. He said, I saw that day after day after day. He said, that was the last thing and the hardest thing that I had to change. He said, but finally I got to where I could see myself well. And he became healed. My son attended to my words, inclined thine ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. How do you keep the word of God in the midst of your heart? Folks, this is exactly what God told Joshua. Let them not depart from before, uh, let my words not depart from your mouth. In other words, to keep the word of God in your heart is to speak the word of God over and over and over again. Same thing, different terminology, but same exact thing. That's how you keep the word of God in your heart. You say it again and again and again. He's talking about meditating in the word. So we've got three principles concerning the word of God. We've got from Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, we've got meditating the word. We've got be a doer of the word. From Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20, we've got give the word of God first place in your life. Now what if you do those things? What will it bring to you? What benefit will it provide? Notice in verse 22, for they, my words, are life unto those that find them. Interesting that Jesus said, every man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus said the key to life, spiritual life, eternal life, is the word of God. Proverbs 4 says the same thing. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them. Notice there's a search. There's a search. What is the search? The search is doing those three principles. Meditating by speaking the word of God to yourself again and again. Being a doer of the word. Acting on what the word says to do. And third, giving the word of God first place in your life. Now other things are important. Other things have to be attended to in your life. But you can't let them take first place. He said when you do that. They, my words, are life unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. Now notice verse 23. Keep your heart. We found out in scripture that the heart is the spirit. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. This word issues is interesting because it literally means boundaries. In other words, your spirit sets the boundaries for what you will have in the physical realm. And your spirit is designed to be fed, nourished, and strengthened by one and only one thing, and that's the word of God. So the word of God in your heart will set the boundaries for what you'll have in life. Assuming that you meditate in the word and do the word and give it first place, you're going to make your way prosperous and you're going to have good success. So the boundaries you set by acting on the word of God, receiving the word of God, putting it first in place in your life and meditating therein, the boundaries that you set are boundaries for success and prosperity. But you set those boundaries. God doesn't set them. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of the boundaries of life. Folks, out in um, the fall of 1977, the, the details of some of this are fuzzy. I, I, I don't remember how some of this came about. But in the fall of 1977, somehow or another, I came across uh, a tape series by Kenneth Hagin. Now, I was just almost 22 years old at the time. And I, 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 I have no idea where they came from. I don't remember who gave them to me, 
or who recommended them to me or whatever. The only thing I can tell you with certainty is that I didn't buy them. I couldn't have bought anything at that point in time. But somehow or another, I came across a tape series. You still get it today. It's the Mountain Moving Faith series. And I can't explain it. I can't tell you what my thinking was. It would have been the last thing in the world that I was inclined to do at that point in time in my life to listen to a taped series or a, a, a preaching tape of any type whatsoever. That's just not the thing that I did. But somehow or another, something convinced me, someone convinced me, whatever. I don't like that on the, the details. I'm real fuzzy. But for some reason, I listened to the first tape of that series, Mountain Moving Faith, and it blew me away. I'd been saved since just before I was seven years old. And I'd grown up in church all my life. I'd heard all the stuff about God sometimes says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. I've heard all the things about all the things that had passed away that didn't belong to us that the Bible used to talk about and used to belong to them but doesn't belong to us anymore. I'd heard everything about God's sovereign will. And, and that was the reason why sometimes things worked out the way you thought they should. And other times they worked out where God stole your child or whatever. I'd heard everything there was to hear about denominational preaching in Christianity. But I heard this guy with this high squeaky voice <laughs> teach that faith in God's word will change your circumstances. And he had scripture for it. And it blew me away. I listened to the first tape and it had such an impact upon me. I didn't go to the second tape. I listened to the first one again. And folks, I was at a point in time in my life where I didn't have any direction. I had several opportunities, several ways that I could go. Wasn't sure about what I was going to do. But I didn't have any direction whatsoever. I didn't know. Uh, I, well, first of all, I didn't know God had a will for your life at that point in time. But I hadn't decided what I wanted to do or how I wanted to do it or, or whatever. I wanted good things just like everybody else wants good things. But, you know, beyond that, I didn't know. But I heard this tape and it changed my life. I heard it the first time and my thought was, this can't be right. So I listened to it again. After the second time, I thought, can this possibly be true? So I listened to it again. The third time through the tape, somehow or another, I got the idea, well, why don't I look in my Bible and see the scriptures that he's talking about? Duh. But that's where I was at. I was just a Christian. Now, I knew I owned a Bible, and it had to be somewhere. <laughs> so I went and found it, dusted it off, and started looking at the scriptures when he'd come to him. And when he'd come to him, it was a little cassette player. When he'd come to him, I'd stop the cassette and look up the scripture. It took me a long time to find where he was going with him. So I'd look up the scripture and I would read along with him, turn the tape back on and read along with him as he'd read it. And he wouldn't add anything to it. He just read it just the way that it was written. I got to thinking for a while... Maybe the second time or so through, I got to thinking, well, he must be changing those scriptures up. He must be interpreting them the way that he wants them to be. But I saw that he was reading them just the way that they were written. And most of them were Jesus speaking. And after the third time through, my life was revolutionized. Three times hearing one tape changed my life. Tell me the word of God's not powerful. Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That one tape, one cassette tape, listened to three times, changed my whole outlook on the world. I got to thinking, well, wait a minute. That means a lot of things that I've been taught in Sunday school and church aren't true. If the Bible's true, and, and folks, I grew up Southern Baptist. We Southern Baptists are taught that the Bible is true. They don't tell us what's in there, but they tell us it's true. So now this fellow, Brother Hagen, on tape, is showing me what's in there. And I've already been conditioned to believe it's true. So now I've got a lot of questions. How are they telling me these things that are contradicted by what I see now in the Bible that they've taught me is true? How does, it, how does this fit? 
I didn't have any answers. But now I wanted the second tape. And I went through those tape series for the next year and a half. I went through those tape series, that tape series, those six tapes, over and over and over and over and over again. It's a miracle of God that those tapes didn't wear out. Now, folks, you've got to realize in those days, I don't even think they had portable cassette players. At least I didn't have one. Did they even have batteries back in 1977? I'm not sure. But at any rate, I had to wait till I got home to one cassette player that you could plug into the wall to listen to those things. And I, my life started revolving around those things. Now, a 22-year-old kid, almost 22 years old, I had a lot of things going on. I had people I had to be around. I had activities to, to participate in, all that kind of stuff. I was in college at the time. But now I've got a dilemma because the friends that I'm trying to spend my time with aren't having the same effect and I'm not getting the same enjoyment out of the stuff that we were doing before. Not only that, but the times that we spent going out and drinking and doing all that kind of stuff, now that's not doing it for me anymore. And I came to the place pretty quickly, within probably six or eight weeks, I came to the place pretty quickly where I was going to have to choose between my friends and the truth that I'd found in the Word. I had to say goodbye to a lot of people I thought were friends. Found out they really weren't. But I had to make a decision. I saw very quickly that there are things that will lead you toward God and toward His Word and bring blessing into your life and things that will take you away from Him. Now, I did like everybody else did for a couple of months. I tried to straddle the fence. And I was always dissatisfied. I always wound up doing things when I was around the wrong people that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And I'd kick myself for it afterwards. Finally, I got to the point where I just said, I forget it. If that's the way it's going to be, I'll just cut this off. So I started lopping things off one by one by one. That was scary for me because I thought, here I am in college. I'm going to have to stand alone. I'm not going to have any friends. And that's exactly the way it turned out. All the people that used to be excited about me going with them because I had a credit card. Now I'm making fun of them because I won't go. I had a roommate, party guy. Boy, I mean, he was partying every night of the week. I'd come home. We had this, they call them futons now. It was kind of a day bed thing that, we, that served as a couch in our apartment. I'd lay on that thing and turn that tape player on and listen for hour after hour after hour. Put a damper on my roommate's social life. He wanted to bring girls back to the apartment. I, here I am listening to the word from cassette tape in the <laughs> living room. I was working out in those days and pretty big. And uh, this roommate of mine decided he wanted to bring a girl back to the apartment on Friday night. And here I am. I'm, he knows where I am. He knows where I am every night of the week. Listen to these tape series over and over and over again. So he got to his big apartment complex, a lot of college students there and stuff. So he went down and got a crowd of people that were going to throw me out of my apartment. So I hear him coming. I'm laying there on the couch and I hear a big commotion coming down the second story walkway you know they're all yeah we'll get him out of there yeah we'll get him out of there first guy comes to the door and looks and he said blankety blank blank look at the size of that guy and they all turned around and ran away <laughs> I don't know what they saw I don't know if they saw me or what I don't know what they saw well I became the enemy of my roommate I mean, he really was upset with me. But boy, those tapes. Man, every time I'd listen to him, I'd hear something new. I'd hear something new on one of those tapes, and the first time it happened, I thought, well, how in the world did that happen? I've listened to this thing a dozen times. How did I not hear that the first time? And then I saw that it was a regular occurrence, and I realized, man, these things are chock full of stuff that I'm not getting, that I think that I am, but I'm not getting. So I spent about a year and a half Going through those tapes over and over and over again. 
Folks, I didn't have any money to buy another set of tapes, another series. I didn't even know if there was another series. I didn't know anything about the ministry. I didn't know anything about other people preaching. I thought there was one guy out there teaching the truth, and his name was Kenneth Hagin. Well, I was pretty close on that. But through a series of events, it wound up to where I went to school. And man, when I got to school, I had to hear, I heard one tape series of Brother Hagin's Mountain Moving Faith series. And I went there and I became a sponge. I became a sponge. I soaked up everything that I heard. I started going to healing school. The Lord told me to go to healing school just like it was class. So that means I had to work from 11 till 7 in the morning. Get up and go, well, get up, come take a shower and uh, get to class by 8 or 8.30, whatever time class started. And then I'm going to healing school in the afternoon. And I was the happiest thing you ever saw in your life. Because I'm hearing the word in the morning, hearing the word in the afternoon. And God is dealing with me and God is teaching me and God is talking to me. You know one of the things I found about those tape series? After I started going through and, and reading my own Bible and seeing the, uh, uh, the scriptures that Brother Hagin was using. Somehow or another I got the idea to read around the, other, the scriptures he was using to see the context of everything that was said. So I'd back up. He'd come to a scripture and I'd stop the tape and read the whole chapter that that scripture was in. Man, God started talking to me about stuff. I didn't know God talked to you about stuff. I sure didn't know he talked to you about the word. But man, it started revolutionizing my life. Changing everything about me. I had no idea I was being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Had no idea. Hadn't even heard that being preached yet. A lot of things that I heard later on, I realized, oh, that's what was going on. That's what was happening. God doesn't care if you know the title of something as long as you're putting the word first. Man, I became a sponge. I wanted nothing more than the word. And you got to realize I, I didn't have time for TV. I'm listening to tape series. I started working for Brother Hagen and I started pilfering tapes. And I put them back. I didn't steal them. But it was part of our job to to. Uh, maintain an inventory for the crusade book tables and stuff like that so i got a copy of everything brother hagan had man i'd go through that stuff listen to it again and again and again and again and again soak it up like a sponge you realize how much easier it is nowadays than it used to be i mean for goodness sakes you can go on youtube and see the videos they got things like roku and other tv channels that that you can hear teaching, good teaching, and you can pick and choose. I mean, good stuff. That wasn't around. I'm not sure that's a help. Maybe it's too easy now. I don't know. I just know this. I know that putting the word first revolutionized my life. Now, here we are almost 38 years later, and every part of my life has been changed by the word of God. Every part of my life has been changed by the word of God. Now, I can tell you individual situations and individual circumstances where I can uh, identify the change and, you know, give, a, give you a testimony or tell you a story. But the fact is, little by little, day by day, the Word of God started changing me in ways that I didn't even know at the time. All I knew is I had a hunger for the Word. I wonder how many people have that same hunger and don't yield to it. I'm not anything special. God didn't look at me and say, well, you're going to be a pastor someday, so I'll give you something extra. That's not the way it works. Now, I expected things to change overnight. My situation was such that I was in financial trouble. Looking back at it now, it wasn't wasn't such a big deal, but it looked like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And I thought, well, bless God, I'll use faith. Things will change overnight. I'll be a millionaire by the end of the year. You know what I found out? I found out that Israel had to live on manna before the walls of Jericho fell. So I started gaining experience using my faith for daily bread. That's not the way I wanted it to work. But in everything that I realized that I was thinking wrong about and disappointed by... I still came back to the same thing that Jesus said in John chapter 6. Does this offend you? Don't you realize who I am? I realized just because my thinking is wrong about something doesn't mean the word of God is not true. 
So day after day after day. I'd like to tell you that it was a daily progression. And it was, but it wasn't something I could see or feel. There were a lot of days, a lot of weeks, a lot of months went by. And I thought, man, am I ever going to overcome this? Am I ever going to get out of this? And all the time the word was working underground. On the inside, unseen. Working on the inside. Folks, I found that in every area of life, the word of God is true. What is sickness compared to the power of the word of God? What is cancer compared to the power of the word of God? Heaven and earth will pass away. That means all the cancer that's in the world will pass away, but the word of God will never fail. What's Parkinson's compared to the word of God? <laughs> Folks, every week somebody will come up to me and say, Hey, I saw you on TV. Aren't you the preacher that preaches healing? Yeah, that's me. What's that going on with your hand? Well, the doctors call it Parkinson's. Well, how can you have Parkinson's if you preach healing? Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> it won't last. Folks, I want you to know something. The videos of me where my handshakes are going to be worth something one day. Because the word of God is more true than anything in, in this physical realm. What a joy it is. I, don't get me wrong. It frustrates me and it embarrasses the heck out of me. And I'm not somebody that likes to be embarrassed. Ask my family about that. But what a joy it is to learn to walk by faith in the midst of something that's embarrassing. The Bible says count it all joy. When you get yourself into diverse situations and circumstances. What a joy. Because I've got the privilege to live it out in front of everybody. What a privilege to live by the word. What a privilege to live by the word. What a privilege. I remember in uh, healing school. I'll quit with this. I'm, I'm out of time I know. But I remember in healing school. The first time I heard Brother Hagin say this. It just shocked me. He said this. He said, you know, I'd only been to school for about a month or two. And he said this. He said, you know, I feel sorry for people that have always had it easy. I thought, man, not me. I've always wanted to be one of those people. He said, yeah, I feel sorry for people that have always had it easy. They've never learned the value of trusting God. Anybody can shout victory when things are going good. Who shouts the victory when things look bad? That's the person that's standing in faith and the person on the word. Folks, there's such a value in meditating in the word. Now, some of the young people may sit here and listen to this and say, you oh, 38 years, my gosh. 38 years? Well, it didn't take 38 years for the blessing of God to begin. But you're going to live 38 more years anyway, aren't you? Might as well use them effectively. Wouldn't it be a shame to go 38 years and say, man, I wish I'd started way back then? Whatever time you've got left, devote it to the word. Because then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Folks, feed on the word of God. Feed on God's word. God's word will overcome any situation in your life. Maybe not overnight, but it'll work. The devil's not strong enough to keep the word of God from working. He's not strong enough. He doesn't have enough power. He wants you to think that he does, but he doesn't. He doesn't have enough power to overcome the word of God. Meditated on, acted on, and put first place in the life of the believer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to afternoon your word. What a privilege to live by the word of God. Father, your word changed my life, changed everything about me. It gave me purpose. It set the direction for my life. It's brought blessing after blessing after blessing. It's given me friends. I gave up friends and got a family. All because of your word. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. Thank you that your word always works. Thank you that as we speak the word of God and thereby meditate in it and act on the word of God in our lives and give it first place. Thank you that we develop ourselves in spirit so that we hear and know the voice of the Holy Ghost in us. Thank you, Father, for spiritual sensitivity that we always know. 
your plan and purpose. We always know your direction. We always know your guidance. Even as Jesus said, my sheep hear and know my voice. And a stranger they will not follow. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for changing us by your word. What a blessing it's been to walk with you, Father. What an adventure it's been to serve you. Lord, we thank you that that adventure is just beginning for all of us. No matter where we are, whether we're just starting off or whether we've been doing this all of our lives. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. It's coming to pass in our lives and in our bodies and in our situations. We believe even as Abraham, Father, and we are persuaded that you are able to do that which you promised. So we give you glory. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We praise you that the word is working mightily in us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.